Welcome back to our series on application modernization. This is your host, Luke Schantz. In our last episode, we covered the topic of refactoring. And hopefully we were able to show you that it can be a creative and interesting part of your journey. We have already heard that a successful application modernization initiative is more than just technology. It also encompasses your company's various teams and how they work together. So we are dedicating this episode to culture and how DevOps and DevSecOps can be implemented regardless of your company's size or current ways of working. So I asked Brandon, our security consultant, about his experiences with culture at enterprise clients. This is a lot of the conversations I have with clients. It's like, you know, there's a maturity with this, right? Obviously, we're not going to be able to do everything on day one, but what's the first things we should be doing, right? And this is all kind of centered in this DevSecOps culture where, you know, you don't buy DevSecOps. Like, I can't buy a tool and then I can't go to my leader and say, hey, we're DevSecOps now. That's just not how it works. I've seen really good DevSecOps clients with lack of technology, right? They're just have to use what's given to them and they make it work. But the key tenets of this are collaboration, automation, sharing, and measurement, right? So first of all, I have to have a culture that's going to collaborate, right? So I have to have a development and operations security team that's willing to work with each other. They're not siloed. They're not like, come back to me in three weeks when you're ready. They're like, all right, let's continue to work together. The next one, I have to be able to measure my success. So I have to see where I'm at. For example, if we have vulnerabilities in containers, how many vulnerabilities do we have today? How many vulnerabilities do we want to have two weeks from now? And then how do we improve upon that? Uh, then I want to share best practices. So this really comes into big organizations, right? So I just had a conversation with CISO. I was like, look, I tell them what to do. I help them. I can drive on what I can touch, but they're not going to listen to me. And I'm like, well, the problem is, is probably because he's forcing them to do something where he should share his practices and say like, hey, I want to work together and see what works right. Because in the real world, you know, for example, I was talking to a car company. They can't use the same CI CD pipeline for car IoT products because there's so much security and liability involved. If those break, it just doesn't work. So essentially, they have to do waterfall. They have to take their time. They have to go and test in the field. They have to come back and start all over again. Whereas the other side of the house that's just managing everything, they can go pretty quickly, right? So both of those, the CICDs for both of those aren't going to be the same. But how are we sharing practices? How are we understanding each other? And then automation. So the key in automation here is to take debt away from people, right? So we shouldn't automate just to automate. We should automate to free up our resources time so they can go do proactive things. And I think that's kind of lost. People are like, oh, we need to automate everything. Well, it's like, no, you need to start by automating one thing at a time and then eventually have a plan to get to full automation. The gold standard, of course, is somebody clicks a button, no one touches it, and the container posts out into production and nobody had any hands in it. It's just following the scripts it has, the policies, all that's controlled. We know it's not going to be tampered with. That's a gold standard. People don't get that overnight. That takes almost years to get to. But something we can do, for example, is we can automate container scanning so that the security team doesn't have to run the scans. So we know when the developers push the container, it gets scanned and their security team gets the results. That's something we can do, right? So now the security team is actually looking at the security vulnerabilities and doing proactive security work. And they're going back to the team and saying, here's our issues. Here's how we have to fix it. So that that's the things I see here. And that, that's the things that I think Containers lead to the CI, CD, DevSecOps discussion to where it really has to be 
centered in the culture of it, right? So if the culture is typical agile or, you know, we're just going to throw things to the wind, it's not going to work unless everyone has the same common goal, right? And that's security operations and development. So I can talk hours about that. So that's what Brandon had to say about working with the enterprise. And I don't doubt that he could talk about security and DevSecOps for hours, which is why he's launching his own podcast on security. And as soon as it's live, I will add the links to the show notes. So I was curious, though, about what DevSecOps meant for smaller organizations. So I've walked into small organizations that have one person, and then he or she is really smart, and he or she can do a little bit of everything. Well, they'll stand up a pipeline by themselves and be like, all right, here's how we're going to do it. Well, that's a great place to start. Let's start with what we have. And then people have different skill sets and different things, right? Like I'll go into a client and they're like, yeah, we exclusively use Chef. And I'm like, oh, great. I've used Chef before. Then I'll walk into a client and they're like, we use Bamboo. And I'm like, well, I've never used Bamboo before, but you know, we got to figure this out, right? How are we going to work together here? A lot of the things in DevSecOps don't have to deal with technology. They have to deal with the premise of working together, which... People don't understand. They just think, you know, I need to spend millions and millions of dollars in technology and process, and that'll take care of it. Well, if your employees are still running the way they were before you bought all those tools, what do you think the tool is going to do? It's just going to aid in that process. So they're going to keep continuing to do that. Like, oh, I have automated security requirements now. Okay, cool. We don't have to have a review of that anymore. So here's your requirements. And then they walk away. So there's no validation of the requirements. There's no collaboration point. You're not getting your people talking. You're just separating them more. So it's just weird how that plays out. It is weird how that plays out. So thanks to Brandon for illustrating how the cultural aspects of DevOps and DevSecOps are really more important than the specific technologies used. Because we all want there to be a silver bullet magic pill or technology that will solve all our problems. But the reality is more complicated than that. And succeeding in application modernization initiatives involves both technology, updating what you have, new ways of working, and the old reliable fundamentals. So it's heartening to hear that the path forward has people working together and collaborating more. We got a good idea of how the culture of DevSecOps works from Brandon. Now let's check back with Andrea Crawford to find a little bit more about the nitty-gritty details of this technology and how it differs from heritage workload tool change that are still around. Streamlining and optimizing DevOps for containerized apps, microservices. Wow, there's so much to that, right? And it's actually something that I've been quite consumed with as of late. So I mentioned before about redefining and recasting a lot of what we've done in the heritage world with new platforms and architectures that are in place today that are at our disposal. And one of the big things that I'm seeing is, first of all, the commoditization of functionality, not just in the Kubernetes layer or even the operator layer with like Tekton and OpenShift, but just open source tools in general. And the fact that we're seeing open source tools more than ever, I don't know if you've seen the CNCF landscape, but there's like, you know, hundreds and hundreds of, you know, like, oh my gosh, don't look at it too long. It'll make your eyes bleed. Which is like really encouraging, right? Because we're seeing a lot of these open source tools come along and put themselves in place in terms of a DevOps pipeline and tool integrations and so forth. It's promising because the way I see it is 
building a containerized app should not be anything special, nor should it be hard. And in fact, if we are able to commoditize a tool chain, in effect, that would benefit all. So maybe that is the next layer of commoditization that we'll see in the industry, right? But configuration as code can also apply to a pipeline, especially when we talk about technologies like Tecton. Now, Jenkins was probably the tool of yesteryear, still very much in use today. They had, you know, this Jenkins pipeline written as a file, you put it under source control and so forth. Tecton, Kubernetes uh, native tool that you're basically coding your pipelines in YAML. You can put them under source code control. You can implement a GitOps model with Tecton and OpenShift or Kubernetes, wherever you have your Tecton installed and being able to really manage your pipeline as code. That's huge. The other thing is that with Tecton and especially in OpenShift, we get this sort of ephemeral tool chain. So you're standing up a tool chain of your typical sonar cube for static scanning. You could use like an artifactory open source for your package repos if you're doing that. And being able to stand up these tools, use them through the tool chain. And when your app is run through the tool chain, the tools come back down, right? So it's not like you have to babysit or nurture a tool chain when it's not in use. All right. So that's definitely something decidedly different from heritage tool chains that we have not really seen before. These are all sort of optimizations and sort of new ways of looking at this age old problem of how can we continuously deliver faster and with better quality, right? So our tool sets getting richer. The mechanics of building a containerized app are pretty well known. And being able to have those features managed like code allows us to optimize just like an application developer would. I'm really a fan of how Andrea recognizes the value of heritage workloads and is able to blend them with modern practices for a successful application modernization strategy. Also, this notion of how the commoditization of a tool chain will benefit everyone, I think was a solid point. I think it's often overlooked, but it really is happening before our very eyes. And lastly, I was encouraged with her attitude towards the CNCF landscape because people love to freak out about how big the CNCF landscape is. But what's the alternative? Have all those projects with no organization or guide to them? And, you know, the reality is those projects are all driven by real world needs and have communities behind them. So after my talk with Andrea, I wanted to hear more about Tecton. And it turns out our friend Duan has quite a bit of experience working with it. So let's hear what he had to say. So, yeah, I can talk a bit about that because Tecton is what I have focused on for the last 10 months to a year. So the reason being was most of my work um, so far has been around DevOps, CI, CD, QA, and I was introduced to Tecton. And my first interaction was I'm using Kubernetes. Now I need a CI, CD tool that plays well with Kubernetes. Always you can use uh, legacy or traditional CI, CD tools. Um, I'm not going to name any particular tool, but I'll mention some of the issues with those. So the first issue is any uh, legacy CICD tool that's a separate server. So let's say tool X, that tool X is sitting outside your Kubernetes cluster. 
if you need to uh, see the logs, you have to log in or SSH to that server. So it's a separate process. Now, in terms of HA, uh, high availability or self-healing, those are not possible or very different. Like, for example, you can have some retry logic, but not like Kubernetes, you have your pod. So if one pod goes up, depending on your replica, the other pod comes up and high availability. So you can have your high availability model with three, six, nine, 12, whichever number of nodes. So those are baked into the Kubernetes. Any tool that runs on Kubernetes inherently gets those benefits. So Tekton is an open source framework for building reusable CI-CD system that runs on Kubernetes. So that's the benefit here. Tekton basically runs on Kubernetes. So all the benefits that comes with Kubernetes, you can get the same thing with Tekton. And it's just one dashboard for all your Kubernetes resources. To close out this episode, I want to share with you part of my conversation with Mary Gugleski. And the reason is, I think it really captures how the cultural aspect of DevOps and DevSecOps should feel to a developer? With DevOps is definitely, uh, we need to go with that because again, right, it automates a lot of the tedious things, especially in a production environment, you have different environment to move between. Having DevOps, it becomes a no-brainer because of, you may need some upfront time, but once you set it up, right, you dockerize something and they can just go anywhere. You can, you know, turn up a container or shut it down, it's much easier. So there's no need to worry about. I mean, that's no brainer, I think, for DevSecOps and all those things too. Yeah, they will help in the mechanical stuff a lot faster. Thanks for joining us for this episode in our application modernization series. And I hope you see that just like security, culture is a huge part of an application modernization process. Please join us next time. We're going to be discussing skills, repurposing skills and acquiring new skills. Thanks. See you next time. Thank you.